Hawks. Hey everyone, welcome to the Blue and Hawk Sports Show. I'm CJ Hawk, joined by co-host DJ Benny the Bull, and this is Hello. episode. This is episode twenty-four of the Blue and Hawk Sports Show. Thanks so much for being fans. And earlier this week, I did a twenty-minute segment on the NHL reopening their playoff plan starting in July. And I'm excited to share that for this episode. Also, we're going to talk to two special guests for this episode. Four-time, now five-time guest, Eric Clymer. And also, my friend, uh, sister Erin, her friend Jenna, who is a swimmer, water polo player, and diver, will come on the show as well. And that's going to be really interesting because we have not talked to any swimmers before on the show. Whatsoever. No. Yeah, so so is that, um, are they, is she also from uh, the same school as sister, or is this like? Yeah, she's from, like, from Oak Park and she went to Oak Park just like Aaron. So they, they graduate same year probably? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So it sounds like relatable. We kind of could get, uh, you know, a little bit, just like how she did for us for uh, getting another person she knows. Uh, uh, probably our biggest, like, in terms of, like, famous <laughs> guest that's been to the Olympics, especially with that, Miss um, Monica. Monica Rackman. Yep. For gymnastics. So um, I'm sure we can... Uh, your sister will be able to help us uh, coordinate for this interview too. So yeah. excited for that one, as well as usual for Mr. Eric Clymer, his fifth or sixth time coming on. So excited <laughs> for that. Um, so stay tuned and remind us. Yeah, remind us how you you met um, Mr. Clymer. Kindergarten. Our, our famous, famous uh, five-time guest. I met him in kindergarten at Cardin Academy in Morgan Hill, California. Ah, uh, so will you consider him one of your best friends? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. I mean, I have um, a few that I've known since kindergarten slash first grade. They've been with me. Ever since then, I mean, I just think of one of them not necessarily like a best friend though. Somehow, like, like a friend for like forever because we went to in every single level, kind of been alongside one another ever since then, all the way you know through mid, high, college, you know, everything like that. Except for like right now at from CUC though, like. Um, you could just say like every single level is like every step through, like they've been there. Um, and another one of my friends, um, has, well, which I consider like one of my best friends uh, each way through has been, uh, with me ever since then. So it's cool to be able to have some of those. And I believe it's really important to, cause many times there's some, um, friends that you've from that, elementary school that you don't 
usually be safe sure. friends with. So, so it's kind of rare. And so I don't take that for granted. And those, those kind of yeah. uh, friendships. So it's yeah. good to have someone like Eric back on. Now we move to today's sports headlines. There's a big breaking news story that came out this morning, which has to do with the NWSL National Women's Soccer League reopening. There was talks of it reopening in the past and decided to do a one-month tournament in Utah next month, so in June. And that's pretty exciting. Gigi Benable is very excited to see the NWSL. I'm not sure how the tournament's going to work. Is it going to be seeded with the teams? Is it going to be just like random scheduling? I'm not sure, but maybe he knows more. I have the scoop on that. So details on that. So yes, the National Women's Soccer League is back. So the league, I myself was up this morning, got awoken, and I somehow led me to uh, hop on to uh, Twitter, which they, uh, first the Chicago Red Stars, they retweeted or they uh, they tweeted out something about um, this. And so they usually like to share everything. I mean, they are the league's first team, so definitely um, very innovative, everything that they do. Um, which led me to this news. So, yeah, the league announces the Challenge Cup in June on CBS and CBS All Access with replays airing on CBS Sports Network, which is their former college network, uh, now a revamped one, as well as for international viewers through Twitch. So that one's a little confusing. I wonder if they're going to separate them. Are we going to be included in that? Like, just be able to watch our games? If I were to bet, like, it probably will be, though, like, again, with combat sports usually being on Fight TV, um, we have the advantage of having, like, for example, one league, um, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, they play on uh, we have BR Sports, which is Bleacher, Bleacher Report, BR Live. So in the U.S., we get to see that, you could say, North America. Though internationally, it's uh, Fight TV is what the platform they use just for international viewers. Um, it'll say, like, oh, this is this is not your region. So all of Fight TV is, is available for everyone. Just in certain uh, games or leagues or matches, like, they or events they will separate international with U.S. So with that, this tournament, the Challenge Cup, will be overall with NWSL, the first overall soccer league. And with that, the first league, first team sports league to reopen. More on that. So this will be a 25-game tournament, which will start June 27th, which is a month from now, good timing on this, that will be Saturday, June 27th, and, and on July 26th, all 
for now, we know that it will take place all in Utah. So in July, July 27th, that's going to be a Monday. So very interesting. Having a Monday game. So this new competition, this is brand new for them. Uh, it's unclear if this is what they're going to do just because it's um, the league is being delayed. Like this could be like, oh, this is the best we can do. Um, you know, no fans uh, for the rest of the year, what it looks like, you know. Um, though this could be a one-time thing where uh, they want to have something going on, you know, something to kind of bring everyone's spirit on, like, for the summer, yet keep the fans safe until, like, there's absolutely something concrete where fans could come back to it. So the 2020 Challenge Cup will see... All nine teams return to play in Utah. And it's said to be in Utah, which is at the Zions Bank Stadium. All matches will take place without fans and attendance. Every single one of these matches will air on CBS All Access. Well, the opener and final will be on CBS. So, yeah, so they're able to find uh, some time slot for them. That was a worry, as we reported uh, a month ago on that in April. Obviously being delayed. And so, yeah, that makes it, as it stands, the NWSL will be the first North American professional soccer league to return to action which makes it the first overall league to return, U.S. league to return to action. And there's a statement that was released by NUSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. She stated, as our country begins to safely reopen and adjust to our collective new reality, and with the enthusiastic support of our players, owners, as well as our new and current commercial partners, the NWSL is thrilled to bring professional soccer back to the United States. This exciting month-long tournament will showcase our league's talented players and provide our fans the type of world-class entertainment they've come to expect from the NWSL. The format of the competition will see each team play four games in a preliminary round to determine seeding. There'll be, from there, the top eight teams advance to the quarterfinal round which means the eight of the nine teams will move on and then next onto the semis and finals to take place at rio tinto stadium all matches outside of the final and opener will again be on cbs all access in the u.s and canada with games as i mentioned before re-airing on the cbs sports network with specific match days game days, start times, and more to be announced in the coming days. I have a little more. This is reported. That was from CBS Sports, courtesy of them, and Yahoo Sports. This is Liz Rocher. 
also reported on this. And specifically, this whole location will be in Sandy, Utah. And so having to do with U.S. soccer, there is they recently won a dismissal of the equal pay lawsuit and released a statement supporting the league's plan. So they said they're supportive of the NWSL's decision to bring uh, professional women's soccer back to the field. Throughout the collaborative, collaborative planning process, U.S. soccer has worked closely with the NWSL and USWNT Players Association to focus on the health and safety of the players, both regarding COVID-19 and the physical aspects of the players returning to the preseason and tournament competition to ensure that each player would have the option of participating in the event. Everyone at the league and individual, individual clubs have put in a tremendous amount of hard work to make sure the environment in Utah will be as safe as possible for all involved. And we are looking forward to, to the return of the NWSL as women's soccer continues to grow and prosper. So yes, what that last sentence, like definitely that's what is concerned at, at this moment. Like um, obviously safety is concerned, which is why we heard what we just, what they said. Um, though like women's sports in general, just, uh, I mean, soccer, especially here, was just was just beginning to um, grow at its at its most, um, not necessarily at its peak, as as uh, some might say. Though, like, it's just starting to prosper, and um, this whole um, pandemic has caused a delay. Though, this is if this is um, what they want to do, then I myself definitely support it too. And so coming with that, there is testing and quarantine protocols. Still plans for this is that, you know, if you're concerned about safety, that players and staff who will be part of the traveling party to Utah will be tested weekly during the preseason. Another test will be required 48 to 72 hours before the date of travel to Utah. And that will include players, staff, children, and caregivers which they put in quotes, no details about in-state in-season testing will release, will reportedly include twice weekly testing. If player staff test member tests positive, any of us plans to immediately isolate that player from the team and put them into quarantine in their own living quarters. The entire team will be tested and contact traced, not quarantined. Uh, so, yeah, they'll start doing that for an entire team. Contact tracing, as said here. New York Times reported that NOSL is looking to partner with two hotels local to the stadiums to create a NWSL village in the hope that keeping players and staff semi-isolated will reduce the chances of contracting the virus. Who will choose to play, you might ask? So the, the NWSL PA worked alongside the league to develop the plan. They released a statement, which you can read through at NWSL underscore players on Twitter. And it just mentions uh, about contract guarantees, insurance coverage for the entire calendar year. Uh, let's see. 
input and uh, on tournament procedures and so on. And what's funny is that um, newly um, in this position is Red Star Brooke Alby, which uh, is the one who authored this statement. So, uh, and then yeah, so there's there's more on their decision, uh, the basically covering that statement. Uh, Yahoo Sports's Caitlin Murray reported on Monday that a number of the league, as well as the national team players, are not in favor of the Utah plan and could choose not to play. So, you know, that opens up discussion, like, is... Are they uh, certain um, athletes are not going to be a part of this tournament? You know, so that's very likely. So just for the listeners, just if you're into this uh, this league, then just know that uh, the players are concerned too. That certain ones they're not going to be part of this, so they have the choice to play or not. Yeah, that's the and cons- that is on. The reopening. Yeah, it's a final state comment. That's if like any sport sporting events are happening. They're all subjective to time changes. So it may be right now that's going to be next month in June. But depending on how many players agree to it, it could change, of course. So just stay tuned to times, dates, those kind of things. Yeah, that's right. Nothing set in stone. And yes, although this is yeah, this is set for next month. So looking forward to that. That is feels like a long time away. <laughs> yeah, just like 1997 was a long time away, <laughs> which leads us into this next list. Did you have more to say about? Uh, uh, no, that that was the end of my. NWSL talk, but I need to bring in a quick, like one second breaking news headline. The today sure. there was the space launch where Elon Musk has been working for like six years yeah. with his uh, SpaceX team. It was gonna be the first American space launch from America in over ten years. It's gonna be at Cape Canaveral in Florida. Very exciting. Two astronauts were going into space, but. That is postponed till at least May 30th due to weather concerns. So the space launch did not take place today. All right. And now I think DJ Benny Bull wanted to segue into basketball. Yes. So up next is on... 1997 MVP covered in the last minutes was far from the worst trophy ever awarded. Though here, this is courtesy of CBS Sports once again by Colin Ward-Henninger and Sam Quinn. Report six hours ago, today is May 27th, and this is ranking 10 biggest MVP snubs in NBA history, including the notorious Carl Malone's victory 
over Michael Jordan. So with Malone's win over Jordan, this creates some uh, this controversial uh, MVP snubs list. And although Jordan never struggled to find motivation in a lead to the 97 NBA Finals, which we know who, which team won, Jordan and the Bulls. I thought it was the Jazz. Uh, yeah, we don't <laughs> we don't discredit uh, any of them. Maybe these days, <laughs> uh, we believe Warriors is uh, also sure at that time. Uh, <laughs> today's Warriors uh, have little chance. Anyway, uh, <laughs> still love them, uh, and that is uh, to become uh, one to earn the MVP award. By that time, Jordan had won four of them. His ninety six ninety seven season should have been put a fifth on his mantle. Voters disagreed. The trophy went to Malone. Jordan would not be pleased, and of course, they met in the 97 NBA Finals. Uh, And big news from The Last Dance. Jordan admitted that he was none too pleased with the voters' decision. So, this heavily focuses on kind of like how Jordan starts with him. Uh, and uh, this kind of made this ranking possible. So, Jordan um, also went on to say, I'm not saying he was, wasn't was deserving of it from the docuseries. All I'm saying is that that fueled the fire in me. Okay, you think he's the MVP? That's fine. No problem. So, he proved this when he went far more important winning the far more important finals MVP trophy. And uh, that's where uh, the Jordan's 97 snub stands in history. Uh, so that's the question right there. Uh, where does that snub land in history? They'll technically one finals MVP. So below that is the 10 biggest MVP snubs in NBA history. Keeping in mind that until the 80-81 season, the award was voted on by players. Therefore, thereafter, it was determined by media. So that's a very intriguing point there. And first is Dave Cohen's over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 72-73. And CJ, explain how this goes because um, the when it says player over player, that means the player that is mentioned first is the one who actually won. And the second player or players is the one who actually was snubbed, correct? Yes, that's correct. So with the first one, Dave Cohens of the Boston Celtics won the MVP for the regular season, and Kareem, who was on the Milwaukee Bucks at the time, was snubbed. And David Cohen's stats, Dave, Dave Cohen's stats were 20.5 points, 16.2 rebounds, 4 assists, and 12 win shares. And win shares is a stat that means like how important to the team's record were they, how important to the team's success was that player. And then Kareem, 32 points, 
16.1 rebounds, 5 assists, and 21.9 win shares. And Kareem is one of my favorite players. And according to the offers, the Celtics won 68 games. So the regular season success for Dave Cohen's helped him even more. Also, Kareem already won the year before two times. So maybe there was fatigue. And which doesn't make sense. And also taking some vitamin B12 and, and it will suppress your and bas- basically fatigue. to put yeah, basically to put this one to bed. This one's not very controversial because about the end it says Dave Cohen's was not even the best in his own team. So that just says that Kareem was robbed. So Kareem should have won. Yeah. I'm not going to say Dave Cohen's. I'll go with Kareem. But at least he's won one. So if he that was the only one he got robbed of, I would have been angry. Like if yeah, he had never won. Right. But he won other ones at least. Just like this next ranking, uh, only won one. Is that, is that accurate? Who? It has to be because they're comparing it with uh, someone else. And that is D. Rose, Derrick Rose over... LBJ, LeBron James, and Superman, Dwight Howard, 2010 through 2011. I am trying to fact check that. That's the only MVP award. That From what I know, that is the only one. That's the only one he won. I'm, I'm 100% sure it's the only one Derrick right. Rose won. Yeah. Yep. Curry Highlights and Awards, D. Rose, Most Valuable Player, 2011. That's right. Although he was a he has been a, well, let's just say he was a three-time NBA All-Star. So, it's still possible. Though this one focuses on his one and only so far. Um, and, yeah, uh, over those two, because Bros' stats say different. I mean, they're not unbelievable. Uh, no. I mean, James is not unbelievable, though. Um you definitely uh, say that Rose earned it with his stats, 25 points, 4.1 rebounds, 7.7 assists. And that is high right there so far, those uh, compared to your uh, typical player. Um, 13.1 win shares. James's stats were 26.7 points. Howard's was 22.9 points. 7.5 rebounds, 14.1 rebounds. 7.0 assists, 1.4, 15.6, and 14.4. And that is uh, comparing James to Howard as well as to Rose. And LeBron led Rose in those stats, points, rebounds, blocks, steals, minutes, field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, true blocking percentage, everything else under the sun. Defensive win shares. The Rose led James. Go ahead. The only stat that uh, Derek Rose had more of was he averaged more assists than LeBron, but not by a lot. With yeah, with point seven. Yeah, per game. not very much percent. Yeah, that point two point oh two percentage from behind the arc and nine point nine percent at the free throw line. So, so I guess that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I mean, you throw those three things actually. Looking, and 
looking back on it, just a little bit better. Lo- looking back on it, I could I could definitely understand if someone says why was LeBron James robbed or not robbed, but why was he not given it? Because I mean, he did have the advantage and a lot of stats. But one thing here that's interesting, I don't know, it played such a big part. But they offers talk about how when LeBron took his talents to South Beach, he basically handed his award <laughs> away. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. But I do, yeah. I, I do agree with that in a sense because there are many times when a team or a player win a big award based to a, based to a narrative, like a story. Like for example, I'm trying to think of some, but there have been plenty of times when the player. Something went right. The team was yep. in last place in 2010. Then 2011, they won the World Series or something. Okay, that can understandable. But this one, I don't know. I mean, Derrick Rose will end up winning. I don't. I'm not like furious that he won. I think it's just LeBron. If it was a different year, I think he would have won. Right, right. Like let's the say next year, probably. Like this. <laughs> Let's say that one year passed from his time going to South Beach and he had the same exact stats. I think he would would have won again. But yeah. He's won like multiple. I can't remember how what years he's won, but he's won like four. Right, yeah. Since then too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this goes on to say we won't uh, dwell too long. I mean, our very own D-Rose here. Uh, why is the first paragraph so much longer than the second? And then it goes on to say, because Derrick Rose should not have won the 2011 MVP award. And thanks, everyone. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that. Stay tuned for more NBA coverage shortly. We're back here Wait, on... Still, like, straight into it. Yep, yeah. we're back here on the Bullhawks Sports Show. We're going over our list from CBS Sports of the top 10 NBA MVP snubs. And we just finished talking about Derrick Rose and the Chicago Bulls. They were on a good team, 62-win team. The defense was great for the Bulls. And now we move to the next one on the list, which is Bill Russell beating Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson, the big O, in 1961-1962 season. And keep in mind, like they said, the offers did, that pre-1980 all MVP awards were awarded by the players, not by the media. So now today, for example, let's say Stephen A. Smith hates LeBron James. He could choose someone else. Yeah. But back in the day, it was by the players. So let's Your say favorite. some player hated Wilt Chamberlain. They could vote for someone else. Correct. And back, up, back to the old rules. Yeah. Players included in the vote. Yeah. Voting. And these are the st- yeah, and these are the stats yeah, so. for each free. Bill Russell, eighteen point eight nine, eighteen point nine points, twenty three point six rebounds, four and a half assists, and fifteen and a half win shares. And Wilt Chamberlain, fifty four, fifty point four points, not a typo. Twenty five point seven rebounds, also not <laughs> fake news. Two and a half assists and twenty three point one win shares. And then the big O had 30.8 points, 12.5 rebounds, 11.5 assists, and 15.6 win shares. And 
I don't know how Wilt Chamberlain, who had 50 points a game, did not win MVP. They did say his team wasn't as good as Bill Russell's, but I don't know how someone has 50.4 points per game in a season that's unbelievably amazing did not win. And Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double for this season as well. So he should have at least won maybe two. So I think that this was more of a team thing. I don't know. How, I love Bill Russell, but I don't know how he beat out Oscar Robertson or Wilt Chamberlain. Maybe since I wasn't there, of course, I wasn't able to watch any of these games. I don't know. But I don't think that Bill Russell... Here's the kicker. Neither of us were even born. No. And my dad wasn't even born yet either. So no, no, none of none of my immediate so, yeah, family. Absolutely. Yeah, none of my immediate family besides like my grandparents would have been born then. Your gramps. And I don't know. I think they should have done a redo. They screwed up. I do like Bill Russell. So that's good. But I don't think I would have given it to him. That's my opinion. Yeah. He, he recently uh, made the news, too. It was something like controversial, too. Yeah. Which you don't have to get into. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> well, definitely worth, worth fighting for. Uh, just like how this these two next players are fighters, legends, just like the other two rankings above are legends. Next is Steve Nash. Over Kobe Bean Bryant, 05 through 06. And each of these were uh, done by uh, the authors. So, like, one took the other, just like how we're doing it. Though both of us have our input. So, between these two, Nash's stats were 18.8 points compared to Bryant's 35.4 points. Nash, 10.5 assists. Can you keep in mind these, you know, these stats, different stats with different uh, positions. So, um, 5.3 rebounds. Uh, then Kobe had 4.5 assists. 44.44% with three pointers. Nash had 12.4 win shares. And then Kobe had the 15.3 win shares. So it's quite uh, the mix-up right here. Uh, so this was during Shaq's second season, part of the Heat, and Lakers did not expect, were not expected to be title contenders. We knew there were some fireworks from Bryant. His 35.4 points per game, the ninth highest single season average in NBA history, fourth among players not named Will Chamberlain, when adjusted for an era by equaling pace, NBC Sports' Tom Haberstroh found that it was the best per-possession scoring season ever. Two of the most prolific scoring games in history between the Mavs and against the Raptors. Uh, the first was uh, 62 points in three quarters, and then the Mavs, then, uh, then the uh, Raptors dropped a unconscionable 81 points. Uh, the Mavs against the Raptors a month later. 
doesn't dis- dis- diminish Nash putting up 50, 40, 90 season while leading the league in assists on his 54-win Phoenix Suns. So that's the time that, you know, Stoudemire, uh, you know, they had him along him, yeah. alongside. Those are the, the good Green. teams with uh, Coach Santoni, yeah. Yeah, he is definitely uh, well-known as well. Nash playing majority, if not his entire career in the NBA with the Suns. Is that correct? Steve Nash? Yeah. yeah. He played his whole career for the yeah. Suns. Or no, that's not true. He was on uh, some other teams. Yeah, I had a feeling that. He, he was on the, the Lakers. He was on the Lakers before, oh, and yeah. and the Mavericks, yeah, too. Yeah, he was on. He was on Dallas, yeah, I was too. I he was. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because we're getting uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, I think we're thinking, of, we're thinking of Dirk, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just linked along with the same, I guess, both of them. I mean, same era. Um, so Kobe was clearly the, the most valuable player in the league. Uh, you know, he was a seventh seed that year with the Lakers, obviously. Um, the team that he stuck with his entire NBA career through the Western Conference. Um, his field goal percentage says here is um, what Emma defines it. Um, despite being a number four, number one, two, three, four option on his team at the time. And so there's a list that CBS Sports did. Uh, the author, uh, Colin Ward Henninger, taking a look at the other Lakers who averaged over 15 minutes per game that season. And that those are Lamar Odom, Smush, Smush Parker, Kwame Brown, definitely heard of him before, Chris Mim, Meme, Mim, Devine George, Luke Walton, the guy who is uh, on the current and longtime uh, NBA logo, Brian Cook, as well as Sasha Vahachik. If if you put Nash or almost anyone else in the league at that point with that group, they're not winning 45 games. And Kobe, his lone MVP two seasons later, uh, you know, saying that he probably didn't deserve it. Um, certainly deserved the award in 0506. So I guess everything evens out. <laughs> Up next is the Edward mentioned Carl Malone over Michael Jeffrey Jordan 9697. Malone stats compared to Jordan stats were in this order, 27.4 to 29.6 points, 9.9 rebounds versus 5.9, 4.5 assists over 4.3, 16.7 win shares over 18.3. So, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's kind of even right here, you know, everything kind of smooths out. Although, um, yeah, take it away, uh, CJ. Yeah, this is one where, similar to the Kareem MVP mistakes, 
the voters were tired of Michael Jordan. Just like people these days, we get tired of the Warriors winning all the time. They're like, oh, can they? someone else win? They were tired of Michael Jordan. So they voted for... I'm leaving. They voted for Karl Malone, the mailman, and he won MVP. And Michael Jordan had more points, but besides that, pretty similar. He had better win share, too. And... Michael Jordan was on a Bulls team that ended up beating Karl Malone. And this was a good team. Michael Jordan was on it, just like Karl Malone as well. But I think Michael Jordan should have won, but I'm not as angry about it as this this offer who said he's furious. I'm more... Yeah, I think Michael Jordan should have won. But Karl Malone, he did have a good season. So I'm not going to say that, like, for example, let's say it was like Billy Bob Jones, he, and he had like a, a, a cool name, they gave it to him. It was Karl Malone. But I think if they redid it, it would definitely go to Michael Jordan. But keep in mind, this was over like 20 more, more than 20 years ago. So we don't know how it would work. But I think Michael Jordan probably would win if they did it again. Correct. And, so, yeah. So, you know, two iconic players, these next two, at number six, the Allen Iversons of the world versus the Shaqs of the world. So, Allen Iverson over Shaquille O'Neal, 2000 through 2001 season. Iverson stats compared to O'Neal's stats, 31.1 points over the 28.7 points. And actually make sure to do this one uh, with who's more. So O'Neal, uh, yeah, for that song, um, 14 points, 4.6 assists. Iverson, also 2.5 steals, 11.8 win shares. Shaq has the edge here with 14.9 win shares. Also in there is 12.7 rebounds as well as 2.8 blocks. And Iverson, uh, he's definitely is one of the the best to ever do it. Of course, um, I would say he's probably you know better overall um, than Shaq. Well, Shaq, of course, the powerhouse coming off of the 99-2000 MVP campaign. Uh, coming in white hot with the steals for a 76ers team, Iverson's team, uh, that had the best record in the Eastern Conference that year. Saying that O'Neal did absolutely nothing to lose the award. In fact, he should have won it after leading the Lakers argument here. After leading the Lakers to 56 wins, the same total as the Sixers. So for the first time in this rankings, that is the case where teams kind of matter, I guess. Uh, You're talking about team records. Instead, received just seven first place. 
votes compared to Iverson's 93. So by this time, of course, this is through like media voting. So, um, sure, Iverson averaged more points. He played more minutes per game than Shaq with a much higher usage uh, rate, 35.9 to 31.6. As you could imagine, O'Neal destroyed Iverson. So again, using his power from an efficiency standpoint, leading the league by shooting 57% from the field compared to Iverson's 42%. Factor in O'Neal's substandard free throw shooting, which he is famous for, which I reference here and there. He still had a (laughs) a comfortable lead on Iverson in true shooting percentage, 57.4 to 51.8. And all in all, Shaq took home finals MVP honors despite this with averages of 33 points, for example, and 3.4 blocks. While Iverson averaged 35.6 points, uh, you know, there's also 3.8 assists in the five-game series. Up next at the seventh is Wes Unseld over Willis Reed. Again, one of those that is before our father's as well as the Suns times, which is us, this times, 1968 through 69. Take it away, CJ. Yes, so this one has to do with Wes Unseld, the Hall of Famer. And Wes Unseld, he was on the Washington Bullets, Washington Wizards. I think it's the Bullets at this time. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Bullets. And he had 13.8 points, 18.5 rebound, 2.6 assists, 10.8 win shares. And Willis Reed of the New York Knicks had 21.1 points, 14.5 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 14.7 win share. And I've heard this one before that Willis Reed should have beat Wes Unseld in the MVP voting. And I think I would agree. I like Wes Unseld. He was a good player, just like Willis Reed was too. And they talk about how Unseld being a rookie was very attractive. That's similar to Derrick Rose when he beat LeBron James because Derrick Rose was only in the league for like two seasons at that point. So there could have been that attractive in due to the voting. And Wes Unseld... Far less points, basically the same in assists, win shares worse, and rebounds a little bit better. But I feel like 13.2 points is not enough to win MVP in my opinion. That's my opinion. I think Will Reed should have won. And that's my view. And also not the biggest fan of rookies winning MVPs just because it sounds great on surface, but I feel like sometimes there could be someone better, but that's my, my, my view. And now we move into the next one on this list, and it has to do with current Sacramento Kings dad, 
Luke Walton, his dad, Bill Walton, over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, George Jervin, and David Thompson in 1977-78, so before the media voting. And Bill Walton had 18.9 points per game, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 8.4 win share. Kareem had 25.8 points, 12, 9 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 12 win share. And George Durbin, 27 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 12 win shares. And David Thompson, 27 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 12.7 win shares. And this one has to do with injuries playing a big role. Bill Walton had big problems with injuries in his whole career. He didn't become as great as people thought he was going to be. But he played in 58 games. Kareem only 62. And I don't know. In my opinion, I'm, what do you think, TG Bull? Do you think that missing a ton of games should negate the trophy? Or do you think they should focus on the games they did play? Focus on the games they did play. So since Bill Walton only played 58, do you think that was not enough? Or are you like, oh, well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the same debate we've had with Zion Williamson since he played barely in games this season. Even though he had great stats, could you say, well, he deserved the the Rookie of the Year over John Morant. But since he played so few games, does he really deserve it? Just like this one? But they did almost play 60 games. So it's a little bit less MVP than... Yeah. And I think Kareem should have won, my opinion. He had the best stats overall. Best well-rounded. And Kareem is on this list multiple times. He was robbed. And they mentioned fatigue again. I don't know why people having keep having fatigue over Kareem. He deserved to win MVP. Yeah. They need to get tired. I get tired of this fatigue. This vote for the person of the best <laughs> best stats. Don't focus on like, well, he won last year. No, forget that. Because sometimes I feel like the same thing happens with Mike Trout of the Angels. He honestly should have far more MVPs than he does. But I feel like all the time, like, he won last season. Forget it. Let's give it to someone else. But Mike Trout, he been robbed multiple times. And we move on to the ninth one on this list. And DJ Bunny Bull's favorite player, LeBron Flop James, is mentioned. So take it away, <laughs> DJ Bunny Bull. <laughs> All right. What he means is Flop is the opposite <laughs> of my favorite. No. No, I love, I love CJ's, CJ Hawks' Kuma. So Kobe... Bean Bryant once again over CP3 Chris Paul and LeBron James 0708. So comparing all three stats uh, in this order: Bryant, Paul, James. Starts with Bryant 28.3 points, and then 21.1 points and 30 points. Rebounds. 6.3, 4.0, and 7.9. 4.4, 5.4, 11.6, 7.2 assists. And win shares, 
So who has the edge in each of these categories? Kobe uh, is definitely, he's right in the middle of that, um, you know. And then, yeah, so James, he has the edge here with 30 points. As for rebounds, James, once again, has the edge over the all of them too. For assists, it's not surprisingly, as he is very good uh, on defense, goes to Paul with 11.6 assists. As for win shares, it, it once again goes to Paul with 17.8, which I really believe that is the case even today. So right here they said don't worry mama maniacs <laughs> uh, yeah so the 07-08 season uh, saying here that CP3 was almost inarguably more valuable than Bryant say that all over again <laughs> uh, that's incredible to even hear so, um, so at the time uh, Paul was on the Hornets and is it 10.3 points per 100 possessions without him? Uh, you know, James Cavaliers, 10.9. Um, let's not be remiss. We'll be remiss if we forget that. Kobe demanded a trade before the season, which didn't sure. happen. And they said that, uh, you know, he's going to be a contender, thanks at least in part to the Pau Gasol trade. Bryant's cumulative on-court value that matched James and Paul's, uh, which it doesn't, the negative value he created off the court has to count for something. The real question here is who should have won between Paul and James? It's ultimately a matter of preference. James has a very slight edge in most individual numbers. Paul's team one more, one eleven more games, and did so in the most difficult, the more difficult, that is Western Conference. James almost missed five more games, and add all that up. So there's again, this is the bait of how many games did the players participate? Did they actually play in versus you know um, what they showed the games that they did play, get to play that is, and add all that up, and he should be the favorite. You're talking um, about CP3, that is. Though LeBron would have been a worthy choice as well. So, yeah, this one's kind of very um, even. Uh, I say this one is correct. Uh, what I give, I would give, uh, personally, Chris Paul. Um, if it wasn't Kobe, then I'll give Chris Paul this lead, as it says here. Yeah, I was... Based would... on the yeah, I'd give Chris Paul a slight lead, but LeBron, well-worthy too. And I agree with the offer that Kobe, he should have won the... Um, yeah, I stick with that. Which one? He should have won the 05-06 MVP, not this one. So Kobe won, won the yeah. Ron one. And yeah, he's... Close, he was close to leaving too. So, another yeah. case of I'm leaving, yeah. And so, there's this close to uh, <laughs> oh, being, being one of those the other two. 
And now we reach the final one on this list. The Big O versus Wilt Chamberlain. 1964. So this is before the media. The Big O had 31.4 points, 9.9 rebound, 11 assists, 20 win shares, and Wilt had 36.9 points, 22.3 rebound, 5 assists, 25 and a half win share. And Will Chamberlain had more points, far better rebounds, less assists, basically pretty close in win shares. He had the lead. And Will Chamberlain, he had won MVP a few seasons before. And Will Chamberlain, I think there was no way he was going to win because since the season earlier when he scored 50 points a season for the season, they denied him the MVP. And this season he had 36, which is still unbelievable. He was denied yet again. And one last statement on it is Colin Ward Henniger, the offer, says he believes that players, he believes players must have not liked Wilt Chamberlain because he received only 19 first place votes compared to 60 for the big O. And maybe Wilt Chamberlain was disliked or was it a case of jealousy where people are so jealous of Wilt Chamberlain that they couldn't vote for him? I'm Which jealous. Does not make any sense? I don't know. I mean, his teams didn't have the most wins, of course. He was on the San Francisco Warriors and and yeah. stuff. But, I mean, 48 wins is nothing. 48 wins is perfectly fine. It's not, like, atrocious. It's not like he only had 15 wins. Then I'd say he doesn't deserve it. But 14, 48 wins is perfectly good. And it's not like his stats were, were phony padding either. Because some people on the list, they have a ton of points, but they didn't do anything else. But he had lots of rebounds, good assists, and he contributed greatly to the team. I think both of them were good, but I think that Will Chamberlain should have won the earlier one. And this one, he should have won, I think. But the big O did deserve an MVP, so I'm not as angry. I'm more angry over the one where Bill Russell won. That was beyond logic. So, basically... Summary of this list, players such as Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem were robbed multiple times, and some players were given the benefit of the doubt in narrative stories like Allen Iverson and Derrick Rose, when maybe looking over it, they should not have won, but they did, so can't, that can't be changed. Yeah, it's crazy how this is, this, I mean, the rules changed. Uh, yeah for the voting and so yeah that has something to do with that too i mean if there was a real like concrete like oh we have the judges and you know refs probably just mm -hmm. do all that voting that'll be like oh this is like super uh like a true mvp award though like it's partly subjective and it's objective too so and thanks and for listening to the CBS Sports Basketball Talk. We got to transition right now to a tennis article that DJ Benable and I read. So stay tuned for that coming up in a few minutes.
We're back here on the Bulldog Sports Show for our final segment of episode 24. We decided that our Air Climber interview and the Jenna interview will be in separate episodes. Makes perfect sense with the flow of the episode. So we're going to finish this episode out with a big debate that DJ Venable and I have. And also some tennis talk as well and some final miscellaneous articles, headlines, or just overall comments that we might have missed in this episode. And the debate that we're going to talk about is Kobe or LeBron Flop James, the better NBA player. And Gigi Benny the Bull is very clear on who he believes is better. And I have my views. So... Do you want to give your case first, DJ Venable, and I'll give mine? Uh, I mean, I don't have too much to say. Uh, okay. On that, though, uh, yeah, so who's better? Whose NBA career is better? Um, I picked Kobe. Um, his numbers are might be a little less than uh, LeBron, although he definitely, I say, like, overall, like, his career is just, you know, legendary. It's something that I believe his, uh, you know, points per game. Like today, I don't believe LeBron could. Um, let's say he was. I mean, they're basically they're like similar age, like LeBron and then like Kobe right now. So, um, yeah, like who who does like sixty points like in a game? Like and they're like about to retire, like just because they. Like they want to, like if Kobe came back like today, um, you know, he would be able to do just that. So like I believe he's just been like very consistent, and um, he not, his numbers might not be as high, you know. Uh, just you put any category on there, but like just the way that he played and um, just set like a gold standard for the NBA, like that. I believe he has that edge. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure Kobe has like a lot. I mean, he has a bunch of like All Star appearances, which, um, you know, is you can put that up there too. So like, just overall, you know, like it takes, you know, everything to be um, an All Star. So like that right there is is telling. I mean, LeBron has been since like day one, right? Almost. LeBron. Uh, I don't think that. I don't think that matters because LeBron has like 16, Kobe has like 18. So it's not like Kobe, LeBron correct. had five. Correct, correct. So, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, you know, you could say like who who has more. And um, I mean, definitely uh, Kobe stayed like he's 20, over like 19, 20 years, right? And, and also, uh, LeBron, yeah. Also, yeah, keep in mind, like, you know, keep in mind, LeBron was playing and started in 2004, and Kobe was playing. Before that, yeah, so. yeah, he's he's been through. At the same time, I could argue that you know he's played um, all different eras. So, oh yeah, like, he's he played different eras. Consistent, consistent with that, LeBron has been like two thousands guy and oh yeah, just into into there. So um, I mean, into this new uh, decade too. So you could argue that LeBron also has that. Although uh, I rest my case, Kobe. And I have to take the opposite stance. I think 
LeBron James is the better player. But but keep in mind, I think they're both great. So I'm not gonna go LeBron is far better. But I think LeBron holds advantages. He's the better clutch player, I believe. LeBron. I think without LeBron, and if also without Kobe, their teams would be far worse. So that's an important stat to look at. The Cleveland Cavaliers basically probably would have got swept or won one playoff series. They would never be that good without LeBron. Look at when LeBron left them multiple times, they became far worse. And LeBron is a team leader, can do it all. Passing, scoring, defense, leadership. And both had great careers. Both went to many All-Star games. And Kobe, he had some advantages over LeBron. And his defense yeah. might be his defense might be a little bit better than LeBron, but LeBron is also a good defender as well. And I think LeBron granted LeBron only won three titles so far. Kobe, he won five. So he had more NBA championships than LeBron. But that's not the only thing to compare players with because there's plenty of great players who did not win a single NBA championship or only won one. And it's not like you would take them out of the top 20 since they didn't win a championship. But LeBron, he's run up against some bad, some good teams like the Warriors squads. He was not going to beat them multiple times. And he got unlucky a few times too. But I think they're both great. I think Kobe's definitely in the top 10 best ever. I think LeBron's in the top five. So I'm going with LeBron James. But also keep in mind, I actually like LeBron James, whereas DJ Benny the Bull has a dark hatred for, towards him. So I don't think he would have chosen him anyway. What do you think, DJ Benny the Bull? I think DJ Benny the Bull, the connection's a little spotty. He is coming. DJ Benny the Bull, are you back? Well, for some reason, DJ Benny the Bull, the call had to end. I don't know what happened. Trying to reconnect. So hold on. And that was our debate on LeBron James. Kobe Bryant, which one was better? And now we're moving back to the next uh, topic. This topic has to do with tennis. And DJ Betty Bull, I'm calling him back. Let's see. Hello? Uh, hello. Hello, sorry. DJ Bionni Bull, I had my iPad, I was using my iPad to call you, or to face video chat with you, and the number went on the screen, and it wasn't listed as you, so I thought I was like a sales jerk or something, so I had to, right. I didn't want to exit yeah. the call, but it's you. Right, yeah, so it said that um, my device was overheating, so uh, okay. I had to close That's okay. um, the video call. That's so. okay. And I just talked That's about, to the viewers, that we... Finished our debate on Kobe, LeBron. Both of us chose 
a different yeah. player. So I think we need to have another NBA expert to come in and give their decision, yeah. LeBron or Kobe. Well, well, let's just leave it with that. Like, you can compare, like, prime numbers. You can compare career highs. You can you can compare clutch gene. Championships. Hardware. Yeah. For the culture or not. So, yeah, there, there's debates on that. We'll, we'll get into more next time. So, um, we'll leave you with this. So, they started this debate on Yahoo with victors are determined decisively on the court. But one great joy of fandom outside the lines has no clear winner. We love to weigh the merits of our favorite players against each other. And yet the tap room of full of basketball fans can never unimaginably unanimously agree on the GOAT. In this series, we attempt to settle scores of NBA undercard debates, or at least give you fodder for your next who is better argument. So, this debate goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and now, we're moving into tennis, which has become yeah, sure. a more subject of conversation in the past episodes. I believe the past two or three episodes we've started to focus more on tennis which I like because I'm a big tennis fan and DJ Benny Bull is starting to become a passing fan which I also am happy about as well and this is the article is titled it's from tennis.com titled Andrescu uh, Sophia Kennan lead 16 player team event set for June in Charleston, South Carolina, titled The Credit Bun Credit One Bank Invitational. It starts June 23rd. And this is a WTA player. So 16 women's tennis players will compete in a tournament in Charleston next month. And I'm very excited for that. Finally get to see some tennis, single matches and double matches as well. Eight doubles contest, that is. Yeah. And some of the headliners, so the captains are USA, and also she almost won a Grand Slam, Madison Keys, who I like, and also Bethany Max Sands, who's cool too, will serve as captains. And with 2019 US Open champion, Bianca Andreescu, who is one of our favorites, and 2020 Australian Open winner, Sophia Kennan, headlining the available pool of players. And this is going to be fun. No fans, sadly, but glad test is going to happen anyway. Happy about that. And now I'm just going to read the field. So the other 14 players are former world number one, Victoria Azarenka, 2017 U.S. Open champion, Sloane Stevens, 2016 Olympic gold medalist, Monica Puig. Also, Amanda Nisimov, Jennifer Brady, Daniel Collins, Emma Navarro, Allison Risk, and Shelby Rogers from the United States. And then Canadians, Eugenie Bouchard, Leila Fernandez, and Australia's Aja Tomo Junkovic. And Charleston, as you know, hosts the Volvo Car Open, but it was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But Charleston's going to have tennis. There's going to be women's players playing in a cool tournament style. So it's not 
Grand Slam or that extreme, but it's still, it's fun, and I'm happy for it. I'm enjoyed it. It's going to happen, so that's cool. Yeah. And it's going to be on Tennis Channel, too. So Tennis Channel starts June 23rd. The Credit One Bank Invitational. Already looking forward to that. And what networks will this be airing on? The Tennis Channel. All right. The Tennis Channel is free, or it's like one of the basic ones, is I, I believe. Oh yeah. All right. So like Fox or CBS. Because I get I get oh, the talking ten- about like. You're talking cable, yeah. Like, talking basic cable, which I myself am not on, though. Uh, so you can compare it to like FS1, and NBC, well, sports, and all that. If we're hoping, maybe by June 23rd, DJ Ben and the Bull could come over and watch it with me if it's safe to do so. Yes, I mean we could argue now that it is like. Oh uh, yeah, we could we've argue that now. <laughs> we can, we, we've been good probably since the beginning. You know yeah. Saying? Though, like, since stay-at-home orders, like, yeah. you don't want to really go out much. I mean, uh, by... In terms of... Uh, yeah. But yeah. by June 1st, Illinois starting to change, so we could see even more of a change by June 1st. Right. We'll see. Yeah, June is... I mean, even before all the news and everything, I projected just, like, how it is in uh, Hong Kong and as well as in mainland China that, um, you know, of course, two different... Uh, uh, countries, so to speak. So that I mentioned that uh, June is projected to be how like they are with how the measures that we we take, which we've done uh, a better job of uh, this month. That uh, will be the three month mark that we've been basically um, the spread this pandemic uh, is basically excited. So, yeah, by, by mid-June should be, um, should be good. Um, not a guarantee that everything will be, you know, everywhere will be. I believe as many places are to um, reopening too soon and everyone should have stayed home. Just like um, I mentioned, there's something tragic that happened um, in the wrestling world that, uh, you know, the fact that there, uh, that body of water that that opened up, so that opened up the opportunity for this um, person to go out with their family and um, have this thing come out of nowhere, which we can get into future episode. Though, um, yeah, if only I say like the one thing I'll say is like if only they had stayed home. You know, I believe it's too early to do so, especially for our state, which is uh, one of the top. Uh, three top five um, states with the most cases. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't um, take chances with um, reopening everything. Though, um, the good news is that it's the cases are dipping as of yesterday. So, I mean, of course, that opens up more for uh, sports to happen. Uh, still, don't want to risk uh, fans coming in. Though um, it's a start, you know, it's definitely something for us to sink our teeth into. So um, slowly, though surely, um, things look are looking better. Um, so let's 
hope for no further extensions, just like this next topic, our NFL news for this one is J.J. Watt doesn't want contract extension with the Texans. He feels that it would be the wrong move. This is courtesy of Jason Owens, once again, of Yahoo Sports. So they're saying Watt doesn't want in on the party after the Texans made left tackle Laramie Tunsil, the highest paid lineman in football. Watt says he's not looking to cash in on the contract extension. So it sounds kind of like jealousy in a way, or I don't know, it feels like he's feels betrayed probably. Um, I mean, he told reporters, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I can't understand why he's going from this because the Texans have been a disaster this offseason, making big mistakes. Yeah. And maybe J.J. Watt wants the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And if he did a long-term extension, he probably would end his career with the Texans. So maybe yeah. he wants the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And I don't think the Texans at this point are, are that close. Yeah, they have to sell Watson, but I don't know if the Texans are that close to winning a Super Bowl at this point. Right, right. So on his uh, statement on uh, Super Portis, on extending it, no, I don't think that's necessary. I think that I fully understand and respect the decision that I'm in and what has happened the past few years. So I'm not going to sit here and demand anything. I think if I went back and asked for an extension or more money right now, I think that would be the wrong move. So yeah, with that, with what you, what uh, CJ Hawk said and what what the guy said, I will agree that this is the right move. And his contract situation, Watt, 31, he has two non-guaranteed years remaining on a six-year, $100 million deal. He's due 15.5 in 2020, 17.5 in 2021. By comparison, Demarcus Lawrence is the highest paid defensive end in football, averaging 21 million per year with the Dallas Cowboys. Injuries have slowed Watt down. Three-time defensive player of the year has played more than eight games in a season just once over the last four years as injuries have limited him in pairing 32 of 64 regular season games in that time span. One healthy Watt is still one of the league's most dominant defensive players. He's made fifth all-pro team in 2018 when he played a full 16 games, that is. Whatever Watt uh, does seek the new deal, um, you know, he will presumably be doing so in a Titan salary cap situation in Houston with quarterback Deshaun Watson expected to command a massive deal with then his rookie contract expires in the next year. So that is on Watt. And for those of you who are fans of JJ, you can tune in tonight for the second episode of Ultimate Tag, which is considered as part of a sports lineup on Fox. Ultimate Tag every Wednesday on Fox at 8 p.m. tonight. 
and uh, on Fox. So it definitely looks like a really cool competition. Um, they have like different like actually you know athletes just like The Rock and NBC's Titan Games. They have you know different athletes and um, as well as ones you never heard of. Uh, that's probably like more so like they might have played in college or something. Just be a part of this competition. So I definitely, I mean, I myself always enjoyed playing the game of tag. <laughs> Though um, it's interesting to see like it being like ultimate, you know, being something that is no matter what age, like something that is into form related into a big competition like this. So the argument lies is tag a sport? CJ. Uh, I'd say no. Yeah. I think it's more just a fun game. Fun game. I mean, there's many things that I don't consider sports that people are like, that's a sport. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fun leisure activity, but I don't know if I would yeah, say it's a sport. I don't, I don't think I'd say so. Yeah, I would say it's not But if someone thinks it is, I gladly will take an opportunity to talk to you. Yeah. First, I would too. <laughs> Just like how this next headline had to do with talks with an international team. And that is via CBS Sports once again. CBS Soccer reported by... Roger Gonzalez, you can follow him at CBS. He actually is a reporter, uh, has been for a while. Um, they're correspondent for, uh, writer for Pro Teams, top clubs to, uh, you know, if you're talking, uh, you know, different European clubs with uh, Premier League and Argentina's first division. He started out writing with Gold.com, so... He has definitely been a long time. So, which is why I trust in this report. This star is off to a European league for a little bit. U.S. women's national team star Alex Morgan leaves NWSL for Europe, and more stars could follow. The juicy topic is on Alex Morgan, which is she is one of the biggest stars, obviously, in all of soccer, um, as well as on uh, national team. And yes, she is leaving stateside for now. Talented attacker announced on Twitter, which I did see um, out of nowhere <laughs> the other day. Um, she announced that she is signing with French club Lion, leaving the Orlando Pride for the rest of the French season. So I would have to look into more of when this season is. So um, for now, you know, that means the remainder of this year, uh, likely into next year. Um, still got to see if after this NWSL tournament, if um, the league will be actually playing regular games, regular season games, that is. Um, or this is just, you know, this tournament is one down, like this is what they have for us. Uh, no fans, of course, um, for this will be, will, will be the season. Um, so that remains to be seen, though now uh, Morgan tweeted out 
that's why I'm going to play in Lion. As much as I love living and training and playing in Orlando, I've decided to take a huge risk and bet on myself. So this is a very similar situation of like Sam Kerr, uh, very similar reason, taking a risk, going to um, a place that she never been to, to before, a club in Chelsea FC in England. So she wants to challenge herself not to say that they don't love, um, you know, uh, NWSL, which Sam Kerr, I usually see, still uh, says uh, definitely friends with players, which I see that they kind of go back and forth. Um, and at times she will say something about Chicago Red Stars. So once a Red Star, always a Red Star, right? Just like in this case, I'm sure. Uh, once a Pride, always a Pride, which I foresee Morgan coming back to Orlando Pride. Um, just my view. And um, the club uh, is known as OL Feminine. Hope I said that correctly. Um, which actually has ties with OL Rain. OL Rain's very own Megan Rapino, Morgan's fellow national team teammate, um, which they took over for Rain FC. So there's that um, relation right there between those two clubs. Um, they welcomed uh, Alex to the team uh, in an article they, they share. Um, funny enough that they said that this was just announced, though I see that this tweet was from December 20th 2016, so it sounds like she's played on there before. Not too sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. And to cap it off, I saw Grant Wall point pointed out that uh, this is on the More Stars following uh, possibility uh, USWNT's contract. So that's a reference to uh, who is basically national. Um, those like Julia, Morgan Bryant locally um, are part of that. Alyssa Nair as well. Um, the U.S. Soccer Federation um, contracts expire on December 31st, and more U.S. players look to head overseas to play. Though Morgan herself plans on returning to the MSL, so good news. This Lions move is a big one for Morgan, who has never played for a foreign club, which makes this um, uh, big, it's going to make a big splash. The French team is dominant, which could be a reason why she decided to take a risk, see where she could fit in through this international club. And, uh, you know, such that's for the line is that they've won 10 straight French league crowns and won the Champions League's last season. So Champions League is uh, one of those that is like the Gold Cup, um, considered like a minor achievement, if that makes sense. You know, comparing it to World Cup, of course, and uh, that's a no-brainer, you know, that's you're facing everyone. Um, of course, soccer is a uh, team sport to respect, so like, you know, nation squad versus every other nation, so... Definitely, that's put to as the A level as opposed to like B level with Champions League. So, um, and the yeah, her piece part of the players is Tribune. 
she basically wrote a letter. And so I'll read that to you, everyone. As you may have heard by now, I decided to head to France and join the Olympique Lyonnais Football Club for the conclusion of the, well, it says the 0-16-17 season. So is this like a comeback. Um, is it is this old? I think we should double check to make sure it's not like old. Wait, hold on. This this is probably a headline from twenty sixteen. <laughs> I think we should make sure that the article. I don't know how this made this made like the front page. So. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, listeners, we're going to make sure we're going to tweet out soon. Make sure it was a real headline, not old, because it now it sounds like it might be yeah. old. I'm not sure. Yeah, now, now that they say 2016, this is something else. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, thank you for listening to the Bullhawk Sports Show, episode 24. We had a good time talking about tennis, basketball, women's soccer, NFL, multiple. I, I feel like we should, we should leave with a better note. Like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is old news, though. We had a great so time. It's, it's good to, to come back. This is yeah. really it. Um, yeah, stay I mean, tuned. Since then, since 2016, we actually have uh, seen More. a bunch of stars kind of come and uh, go from uh, the league. So yeah, um, well, I feel like, yeah, naturally, we should do. Well, we well, we are running out of time, so. <laughs> yeah. Any any final thoughts? No, I thought that was interesting. We came from the, the archives. Yeah, I thought it was interesting article. Anyway, and stay tuned for our two explosive interviews soon. Yeah, let's make it up to you guys with some more. <laughs>